today on The Journey. God has something specific and powerful for you to do today. Every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. No one can reach into your world like you can. Tag, you are it. What kind of character does it take to change the world? And where are those virtues found? Today, Ron Moore shares those biblical characteristics and invites you to join the community of world changers. We'll get to that right after a brief word about Ron's daily devotional titled, Journey Through the Gospels. In these 365 reflections, you'll discover truths about Jesus and yourself that you may have never seen before. Journey Through the Gospels is available for a donation of any amount, and you'll find it on the web at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a message titled, Owning My Influence on the Journey. What are the landmarks for a life of legacy? What are those things that have to be present in your life for you to direct people to this place of legacy? We've been talking about this life that makes a difference. And we've looked at these characteristics from 1 Timothy chapter three. And if you were to say, here's how you get to the characteristics found in 1 Timothy three, what would be the landmarks? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy three as we continue looking at these character traits found here in a list that Paul gives to Timothy and Titus about the qualifications for church leaders. But we've seen that these qualifications are throughout the New Testament. So they're not just for church leaders. No one is exempt. What does it look like to be a Christ follower? Nine things we've looked at. First, passion. You've got to have a passion for what you believe. The Christian life is not to be lived flatline. You gotta let people know you believe what you believe. Desire to own our influence. Free from accusation. Now, we're, no one's perfect and everyone has a past. But free from handles of scandal. No one can grab onto our lives and bring us down because of the things that we continue to do. Family integrity. Faithful to spouse and children. Emotionally balanced, temperate, and self-controlled. There's a discipline in one's life. There are things we want to say. We really want to say them, but we can't. We hold back. There's a governor. There's a filter in our mind and our heart. Respectable, obedience, flowing from spiritual identity. Hospitable, not inviting people into our perfect homes, but inviting people into our imperfect hearts. Able to teach, acquiring God's word, believing God's word, communicating it. Gentleness, strength under control. And last time we talked about being generous, not a lover of money. Now, these are the things that need to characterize our life. So again, if you're gonna tell someone, hey, here's where you need to get to. These are the nine things that we want to see in our lives. How do you get there? What are the landmarks that we need to point out? Well, today, I wanna look at five legacy landmarks found in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. As we go through these five landmarks, I want you to prayerfully determine God. That's one I need to work on. That's an area that has to change. Okay, five legacy landmarks. Here's number one, spiritual 
identity. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Paul says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's who we were. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's our past. We can't change that. That's who we were. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done. Look at back at verse 3. We didn't do any righteous things. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's where a life of legacy starts. It starts with Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you might leave some stuff you might leave some buildings and you might leave some money, but you will not leave an eternal legacy for those behind you. It starts when you come to the point in your life when you realize you cannot have a relationship with God on your own. By your good works, your giving to the church, your church attendance, your first communion, your confirmation class, your baptism, whatever you have done, those things don't matter when it comes to having a relationship with Christ. None of the righteous things we've done, none of the good things we've done are ever enough. By the way, how many good things would you have to do for eternal life? I mean, what would that cost? There is no payment except the payment that Jesus paid for us on the cross. And so being a Christian is simply this. I cannot save myself. Whatever I have done is not enough. So I trust in Jesus Christ alone as the only way I can have a relationship with God. I trust in the work of Christ. Jesus came fully God, fully man, perfect, sinless, died as a sinless substitute for me on the cross, and I trust in his death as mine. And because of his death, I can have a relationship with the living God. Paul uses the word justified. The word justified means two things. It means when we trust in Christ, we stand before God, not guilty. And you say, wait a second, look at verse three. Look at who I was, look at what I've done. But we've trusted in Christ, we're forgiven. Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin. And God says, not guilty. And then he takes the robe of righteousness, the righteousness that comes from the perfect life and work of Christ, and he puts it around us. So when we are justified, when we've trusted in Christ, God looks at us and he says, not guilty, you are righteous in my eyes. I take your sin and it is forgiven. I will remember it no more, the Bible says. Psalm 103, I'll separate it as far as the east is from the west. I'll throw it in the depths of the sea. And that's the first and most important landmark of living a life of legacy. We need to understand our spiritual identity. We are forgiven one time for all time. We are accepted as a child of the living God. We are significant, not because of who we are, but because of who we are in Christ. We are secure. Think about that. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And we're empowered. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit empowers us, is the engine that drives us to live a life that pleases God. If we could just get a grasp on our spiritual identity, things would change. 
we go do a lot of work in the slums of Mathari, Nairobi, Kenya. We work in a school there mainly. And these kids are living in a place where raw sewage is flowing literally down the middle of the road. They live in dirt, 10 by 10 shanties, terrible situation. And Johnson Wambua there pumps into these kids their spiritual identity. You're not a slum kid. You're a child of the living God. You're a child of the King of Kings. You have been forgiven. You are significant, not because of the home you live in. You're significant because of what Jesus has done for you. And the only way to break the cycle of a kid in the slum is to allow them to see and understand that they're not a slum kid. They're a child of God. By the way, what cycle do you need to break in your life? A cycle that says significance is stuff or a cycle that says I'm insignificant because someone in my past said I wasn't worthy or someone abandoned me or someone hurt me. You depending on people to give you significance, you will always be dissatisfied. Our spiritual identity has to be found in God alone. And parents, we have got to teach this to our children. We've got to let our children know that they don't find satisfaction in promiscuity or the job they chase or whatever. They find significance in Jesus Christ alone. And by the way, as a parent, you cannot impart what you do not possess. So if you don't have it, you can't give it away. Spiritual identity is the first landmark. Second one, God's word. We've got to be in God's word. There's just no two ways about it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. If you're looking at a passage that tells you what God's word is about, this is it. All scripture, not some of it, not a bit of it, not the parts we want to listen to, but all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's useful for teaching. Here's the right path. Here's the path you need to be on. It's useful for rebuking. Well, you're off the path. You need to get back on it. Correcting. Here's the way to get back on the path. And then training, here's a way to stay on the path. And here's the reason God's word is so important so that the person of God, the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is no excuse for us not being in God's word on a regular basis. We need to do two things with God's word. We need to read it daily. Some of you are athletes, man. You work out and you work hard and you're so disciplined, you would not miss your workout, would you? Well, you can't miss your spiritual workout. And Paul says, physical training is great while you're here on the earth, but spiritual discipline, that lasts for eternity. We've got to be in God's word. It's his love letter to us. He loves us so much. He sent his son to die for us on a cross. And then he gave us the word so that we could know how to live this life that pleases him. We've got to be in the word of God. We also need to be studying the word of God. Paul tells Titus, hold firmly to the word of truth. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 7. I'm going to skip down to the end of the verse. There are teachers, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. See, we've got to understand Scripture so that we can confidently affirm the truth, not just a bunch of fluff. And there's a lot of fluff being proclaimed out there today. Reading God's word, his love letter to us, but then digging deeper and studying it so that we know what we believe. We need to know what we believe. Number three, legacy landmark, life purpose. You are a child of the living God. Jesus came and died 
for you. You are forgiven. You are significant. You are accepted. You are secure. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The question is, for what? What does God want you to do? Just like each one of us have a unique fingerprint. So God has his unique fingerprint in our life. There is something special and unique he has for you to do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful by appointing me to his service. Paul says, I know this, God has appointed me to his service. And you say, well, I'd like to do that, but my past, man, it's not very good. If you knew some of the things I've done, I don't know that God can use me. That is baloney. Look at verse 13. Paul says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was doing what sinners do. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So you don't have an excuse for your background. God has something specific and unique and powerful for you to do today. Every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. People are seeing your lives. No one, no one can reach into your world like you can. God has you there. Tag, you are it. And he has a special thing for you to do. And you got to know what that thing is. And when you know what that thing is, there is energy and there is passion. And you want to get up in the morning to go do what God has called you to do. That's a legacy landmark. See, you want people around you to know you are living with passion. You want people around you to know you're living with joy. You want people around you to see these landmarks that you know who you are in Jesus Christ, that you're in his word and you're hearing from him. Number four, take a stand. A legacy landmark, I believe, is taking a stand. When we follow Jesus Christ, there are gonna be things we need to stand up for. Look at chapter four of 2 Timothy. Look at verse two. Paul says, preach the word. We're all ministers and we need to proclaim the word wherever we are. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. You see, sometimes the truth of God's word is gonna be popular and sometimes it is not gonna be popular in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage, but check this out. Don't be a jerk about it. With great patience and what? Careful instruction. So I can take a stand on the things that God says. But here's the deal. If I take a stand on it and then don't live it out, what's that called? Hypocrisy. Yeah. So I got to make sure my life matches my words. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25, 26. Those who oppose him instruct gently in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil that has taken them captive. See, Paul says, gently instruct, but you can't reach into someone's heart and change it. Pray that God will take your words and that he will use them, that he will use them to lead that person to repentance, to the knowledge of truth, and that they will come to their senses, their spiritual senses, and they will escape the trap that Satan has them in. Man, that's powerful stuff. And all we got to do 
is to make sure we take stand. Again, not offensively, but take a stand in a way that says, I love you, I care for you, I'm not agreeing with you on this, and here's why. All along praying that God's gonna be working in their heart. Now, I said not offensively. Sometimes the gospel is offensive, right? Sometimes people will walk away. But our job is to do it in a way, as Paul has told us, to be attractive in our spiritual walk. And if you've not been baptized as a believer, I'm gonna encourage you to do that and take a stand. Baptism does not make you a Christian. It does not complete your Christianity. It does not make you more of a Christian. It is driving a stake in the ground. And it's saying, I want everyone to know that I've trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way I can have a personal relationship with the living God. And I'm going into the water, identifying with his death. I'm going under the water, identifying with his burial. I'm coming out of the water, identifying with his glorious resurrection. Now that's taking a stand. And some of you have not been baptized as a believer. That's the next step of taking a public stand. So we need to know our spiritual identity. We need to be in God's word. We've got to take a stand. Last one, engage in the battle. The Christian life is not for a passive spectator who loves to watch from the stands. We are called to engage in a battle. Twice in 1 Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy, fight the good fight, get in there, mix it up, engage in the battle. And Paul could write that because he was engaged in the battle. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. These are among the last words that Paul wrote before he was put to death. That He knew his life was about over. Here's what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Don't you want to say that? Don't you want to burn it out for Christ all the way to the end? You don't want to have energy left over. You want to give it all. But here's what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only for me, but to all those who long for his appearing, for all those who fight the good fight, for all those who finish the race, for all those who keep the faith. You got to engage in the battle. We're not to be passive. In the Roman Empire, during the time First and Second Timothy and Titus was being written, gladiators fought in coliseums throughout Rome. They fought, as you know, to entertain the crowds. Sometimes they would fight in little villages in makeshift arenas. Sometimes they would fight in the big arenas. The Roman Colosseum would be built right after Paul died. It would be completed in 80 AD. And 50,000 people would come and watch these gladiators fight to the death. Some gladiators were volunteers, but most of them were slaves, kept for training and entertainment, fighting other gladiators, fighting wild animals, fighting condemned criminals. Most lasted less than 10 matches. The average age of their death was 27 years old. In, in the 400 arenas spread out through the Roman Empire, 8,000 gladiators died every year. 
the name gladiator means swordsman. And most of them lost their life at the end of a sword. So when they were fighting and they knew they were defeated, if they could, they would get on their knees and they would kneel before their opponent. And a gladiator never begged for his life. It was noble to die well. And so they would take their opponent's sword and they would guide it so that the opponent would thrust that thing down and it would go through their heart. According to the church historian, Theodore of Cyrus, in 404, a monk, for whatever reason, went to a gladiator fight in the Colosseum. The monk's name was Telemachus. And as he watched this thing, he was so disgusted at what was happening between all these gladiators that at some point he got up and he went into the arena and he ran and tried to separate these two gladiators fighting. The crowd was so incensed that this monk was interrupting their entertainment that they found rocks around the Colosseum and they got him in a corner and they stoned him to death right there in the Colosseum. Thordere, the historian, says that when the Roman emperor Heronius heard of this, he was so impressed by the monk's courage and in his mind, seeing that monk bloodied and dead on the Colosseum floor, did something to him. And he issued a ban on gladiator fights. The last known gladiator fight in Rome was on the 1st of January, 404 AD, the day that Telemachus died. So here's my question. What battles will you engage in? Battles for your marriage. Man, don't give up. Fight for your marriage. Engage in a battle. Battle for your family. You may have some children heading the wrong way. Fight for them. Fight in prayer. Fight for them. Let them know how much you love them. You may have estranged children. Pray for them. Call them. Let them know, man, I have not been perfect in my parenting, but I love you, and I would love the opportunity to regain this relationship. I have some things to tell you. Battle for obedience. Man, all of us, every last one of us have an area of our life that dogs us. It's a special area of temptation. For whatever reason, we have it. And we got to battle every day so that we don't fall into that temptation. Engaging in the battle. What battle are you going to engage in? Christian life that God has called you to. It is not a passive participation. What are you going to do? Would you like to sense the anticipation of the people as Jesus stood up to preach? Would you like to feel the joy and wonder as the scales fell from the eyes of the man born blind? Would you like to see Jesus for the first time all over again? Well, that can be your everyday experience with Ron Moore's devotional titled Journey Through the Gospels. In these 365 insightful meditations, Ron takes you on a challenging journey through the life of Christ. Along the way, Jesus will touch your soul and spirit with life-changing truths and tender affection. Journey Through the Gospels is yours for a gift of any amount when you visit ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Or you may call 724-731-2018. That's 724-731-2018. 
Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron Moore next time as we walk together on the journey.